Tonight it's, I think, the third session we're going to talk about immortality. Tonight is going to be a foundational one for next week. Because while I was doing this teaching, I saw something and uh, it triggered something in me to, to, to pursue it. And I think I'm like 80% there to see what it, what it is that I saw. But it's something beautiful that I saw in this thing I'm going to talk about tonight. So tonight you must understand this before we, I will talk about the, the next thing about this. Um, but yeah, it's something when I, we were sitting there, Monique and myself, she was looking at the image. It's actually on that image that I posted you. I saw something there that triggered something. But yeah, we will talk about that next week. Last week, or the last time we, we spoke, I ended up saying Paul, God used him differently than most people before his time. I said Paul came to speak about sonship and he didn't focus so much on discipleship. Now I want to elaborate on that just quickly so you understand what I'm saying. I'm just scared people will misunderstand me. Um, if you read the book of Acts, um, most of you have read the book of Acts, you will read the life story of Paul. Most people say it's a, it's a letter written to the court to, to, for Paul's case and was in court to say this is what he did, his life. You see, it's, you read it in, in, that, in that way. So, I want you to understand when Paul was saved, he was told he's going to work and gather the Gentiles. Okay? But what was the first thing Paul did? He made disciples. If you read in the book of Acts, you will see, they talk a lot about in the beginning, he made disciples here, he made disciples there, he made disciples here. Alright? So, he did make disciples. But then something changed. What? He went to prison. Then it changed. And he started writing letters. And these letters were written to saved disciples, most probably the ones he saved was worked with when he visited all the towns and all the places. But then he started talking differently and then he spoke only like that afterwards. So I think he was so on fire for the Lord that the Lord had to put him somewhere so that he can do the rest of the work. Otherwise he would just be out there among the people. Uh, but people came to faith through Paul, a lot of them in the beginning. If you look at Paul's writings, you will see he was very radical in the beginning and then he became more mature in his writing. You know, you had this, like a youngster running around doing things and then he became more mature in his writing. But when he was in prison, there was a switch that came and he started talking to saved people about growing. Because remember, that's why you could tell them why you're still a baby, because he, made, he was there when they were born again. They got born again through maybe Paul when he visited their town three years ago, four years ago in Corinth or wherever. So then he's writing this letter a couple of years later. Now let's say five years later, he's in prison. He's writing this letter. He's saying to them, why are you still babies? Because you were a baby when you got born again. Because you got born again, a baby is born. But you can't stay a baby. And that's why he was writing the letter. Because he, he noticed some of them are not growing in their spiritual life. They stayed the same as when they got born again. So, but that's why it's important for us to understand today. There's a time to make disciples. And we must all still make disciples, but there's a time to look who's the sons in the making. Who's the ones that's not happy with just discipleship? Remember when you became a disciple, you were not happy with the status quo of not being anything, just floating. 
So you became a disciple, you started walking in discipleship, and you grew. Now in discipleship, you must come to a stage where you say, okay, this is going to be it all. I mean, look at discipleship. Can that be all in all? You're praying for healings, not everybody's getting healed. You get a lot of flack from people wherever you go. Um, demons fight with you, you fight with demons. And all those things happen. Um, that, can't be, that can't be it. Jesus didn't die for that. There must be more. And the sonship is for the people that say there must be more than just discipleship. You see, they're going through the three rooms of the tabernacle. The outer court, the holies of holies. They want to go to the, to the holies of holies. They're not happy with just staying in the holy place. All right? So understand this. There's something that's inside of you yearning for more. Paul went through the same thing. Got born again. He just went through it very quickly. He also did the discipleship because you can't be a son if you don't understand discipleship. Because son, son, uh, discipleship is your foundation for being a son of God. You've got to understand discipleship, what it means. And Paul had to go through that, but he did, went through it very quickly because God gave him a turbo to go through all these things to get to the, what he had to do at the end of the day. Um, so maybe you must also go to prison. In other words, not run around doing things for the Lord and focus what his spirit's saying so you can walk and work like that. All right. Because when you're outside and you're busy, you're busy sometimes. But yeah, think on that, what I just said. So again, for us today, you will still make disciples. Don't think you must stop making disciples. But you must shift your focus to start speaking sonship. And in that, you will still make disciples. I mean, like I said, when we were away now, if I had to find somebody there that wanted to get baptized, I would still baptize them. I'm not going to say, no, I'm making sons. I'm not baptizing or making disciples. We don't do that. You keep on doing what you're doing. All right? But you have to have a deliberate change of mind of talking sonship to people. That means you've got to say to them, have you realized there's more than what you might think is there? Are you not hungry for more? Ask my wife. I just had an hour plus conversation with a person in my, in my house just now before we came here. And I spoke sonship to that person. All right. So, a lot of people is busy with discipleship all over the world, and it's good. All the churches doing it, it's good. But I guarantee you, there's not a lot doing sonship. Ninety-nine percent of people you're going to speak outside, that's in churches or denominations, are not even going to know there is anything like sonship. They will not even know this. It exists. But the Bible is full of it. It speaks the whole time about sons of God. Have you noticed some of the translations change the word son of God to sons and daughters? Go check your translation. They would say the sons and daughters of the Lord. But the actual translation said sons. In other words, not sons in the natural, in the flesh. Speaking about mature people. Right? There's a difference between saying you're a son or sons and daughters. They want to be all inclusive <laughs> using that. That word's also not a nice word these days anymore. Uh, so in saying all of that, let's start with tonight. What I want to talk about or start with. I said yeah, God never wanted man to die. We should all know that now. His creation, we were supposed to live forever. Adam and Eve were supposed to live still today. 
because of sin, death entered. All right? Um, Enoch, in your Bible, we all heard the name Enoch. He was the seventh man after Adam, and he didn't die. It's saying something in the spirit. And what day are we? In the seventh day. The seventh man after Adam is Enoch. He never died. Seven, it means completeness, purity, perfection. We're in the seventh day. We are entering in the seventh day. So we will not die in the seventh day. There's going to be a generation that will not die in the seventh day. That's why Enoch was the seventh after Adam not to die. It was saying something in the spirit of your Bible. Uh, I want to see, show you how these things are hidden. Remember what I told you? Everything is hidden in the Bible in a pattern from Genesis to Revelation. The same pattern will go through your whole Bible. It never stops. Why is it being revealed now? Because it's the time we are in. Not because we are clever. It's because the Spirit's allowing it to be open. And there's a body that needs to step into this. To understand this and walk in the fullness of this. Um, even though we might not see it in our generation, we're supposed to walk in it as if we are going to see it so that we can raise our youngsters to walk in it better than we are walking in it if we don't see it in our generation. Just think of it this way. <laughs> I was sitting here this morning and I'm saying to the Lord, I was just talking and I'm saying to the Lord, why did he tell me this? You know, you go through these things and you ask the Lord these funny questions. Why did he need to tell me this about immortality? And I'm thinking and I'm sitting there and, uh, and I'm not asking it to get an answer. I'm just, it's just questions I made. And the next moment, he said something. He said, it's not for me. And I'm thinking, but, yeah, but you told it to me. Well, if it's not for me, then why? He said, it's for the one sitting in front of you. It's you. And the people listening online, the people that want to hear this message, it's not for me, it's for you. So my question is, what are you going to do with it? Because it's meant for you, not for me. I already understand it. I'm telling you what, I've, what he's showing me, because that's why you're sitting here. Do with it what you want. Now let's look at Jesus when he came to the earth. He came to declare something. And the issue was death. He came back to correct, like I've said before, everything that went wrong in the Garden of Eden. Everything that happened. I realized something this week also when I was reading, just as a side note. When I was reading about, you know, there's so many things that we see about Adam when he sinned and Eve. I always say to you, listen, there's... Eve is a picture of the Pentecostal church and, you know, always uh, saying, no, no, it's the devil, the devil, that blame the devil, you know, the devil had me eating this. Adam was a typical reformed guy, no, my wife told me to eat this. But the, I've told you that I, I know that the devil went for the, for the female first because she's emotional. So if you can get her, the husband will automatically follow. And that Eve was deceived, Adam was... Yeah, sinful. But when I read it, uh, this and while I was doing this and I read it, and I realized something again that I haven't thought of before. Every time God speaks, have you noticed He always speaks to the men first? When He came back 
To whom did he speak first after they ate of the fruit? Who did he call in the garden? Where are you? Adam. Not Eve. Because men has got a certain position that we have to walk in and stand in. Everywhere in the Bible, when he spoke to the, to the Israelites, he called the men aside. Because we as men are supposed to stand in something, in authority and in place. He always goes to the men. He didn't go after Eve. Eve was the one that ate it first. He didn't go, Eve, where were you? He said, Adam, where are you? We men must realize that you allow what happens in your house. We as men. It's important. If you step out of line, your whole household will step out of line. He always comes to the man, not the woman. Like I said, it was a side note. Jesus came to correct. So let's look at what he came to correct. John 11, verse 1. This is a story of Lazarus. I first want to talk about this before I say something else in two weeks' time. Now, in a certain man was sick named Lazarus in Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. And his sister Martha. All right, Lazarus. The name Lazarus means... God has helped, or when God has helped. Remember that. That's what Lazarus means. God has helped. All right, the name Lazarus. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, uh, his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou loved is sick. Look at what it's saying there. I want you to notice something. He says, he whom... Thou love, love, that one, is sick. If we bring it fast forward from there to today, if we're talking about death, who's the ones the Lord is looking at? The ones that love. See the prophetic in this story. When Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. These things he said, and after that he said unto them, O oh, friends, Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said the disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. How about Jesus spoke of his death? But thou, they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Again, Typical discipleship 101, they go into the flesh. They don't realize he's talking spiritually. They go straight to the flesh and try and figure this out in the flesh. Then said Jesus unto them plainly. Yeah. We all have to do that. When somebody's not hearing what you're saying, you're an African saying, eh? Plainly, Lazarus is dead. Because they were thinking, okay, he's just probably sleeping. And, and I am glad for your sake that I was not there. To the intent he may believe. Remember that word. You may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave for four days already. What does four mean? Earth, creation, the world, four always speaks about that. You know, the four seasons that we have, wind directions, everything's four. Elements, 
So what is it saying here? Why was Jesus four days late? He was not lazy. He was deliberately four days late because he wanted to say something in the spirit. And it's to do with creation. Because he's going to demonstrate his plan to creation when, he's, when he came to Lazarus. The whole of creation needed to see what the Son of God is going to do at Lazarus' grave. The four. I'm going to leave it for next week. Romans 8. There's something in Romans 8 to do with this verse. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatever thou wilt ask of God, God will give him thee. Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Okay, here comes the religious part now. Martha said unto them, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Funny, that's what people still believe today, eh? Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection. Okay, now here. Oh, there's so much I can say here, but it's all for next week. He says here, I am the resurrection. And the life. Number one and number two. These two things he said here. He that believe in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever live and believe in me shall never die. Believe thou this? There's that word again. Do you believe this that I'm saying? She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went away and called Mary her sister, secretly saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was at the place where Martha met him. The Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted, uh, com comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. That word groan. That's the Greek. It's imbrima amhahi. I'm trying to figure out how they, they break it up for you how to pronounce it. It means anger. Groan. Blame. Snort. So, when Jesus groaned there, he was getting angry. At what? Death. Who's his enemy? Death. Who caused these people to cry? He's seeing them all cry. Death. Verse 34, And said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Why would he cry? 
because he is not in the business of killing people. And this person died because of what the enemy brought into, into the world, death. You can see that death is not part of him, otherwise he would not cry. If it was him, he would not have cried, but he cried. Martha came to him first, remember? Martha came to him first. Martha means bitter. The name Martha means bitter. Then Martha called Mary to come to him. Mary means tear. So, it is saying this that is bitter, this bitter thing, this thing that's happening here, is causing tears. Death. See the order that came to him? It is also saying something in the spirit when these two women came to him. That's why Jesus also cried. Because he's not in the business of hurting people in that way. Then, what is it, verse 36. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. Again, how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaned, groaning, as again he's getting angry, in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Where did that happen in the Bible? A place where there's a cave with a stone in front of it. His grave. And he's getting angry again as he goes to the grave to face his ultimate enemy. Verse 39. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Alright, so he's, he's not smelling that nice. Some people today also don't smell that nice in the spirit. I mean, if you think about it, since the Garden of Eden, creation, man died. So why do this now? What is he actually saying? Why is he coming to this thing and doing these funny things? Coming four days late, getting angry, talking these things to the woman, Martha and then Mary, specifically in that order. Jesus said unto her, verse 40, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou should see the glory of God? Verse 41, then they took away the stone from the place where he, the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Notice something here. Yeah? Who rolled away the stone? Man. And with Jesus, who rolled away the stone there? When you see the difference between these two parables, these two stories, actually more stories. Verse 42. We're nearly there. And I knew that thou hurts me, um, hurts me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Let's leave it. And when... He thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. 
and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Just again a side note. Notice what verse is saying, allowing him to step out of the grave. Verse 44. Remember what I said about the number 44 every time I get to... Yeah, it's the verse 44 that allows him to, to step out of death. Verse 53. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. What made them want to kill him? Raising somebody from the dead. I mean, that should be something that you celebrate. But the religious people decided, mm, this is cause that we can use to kill him. That opened the religious ones to kill him. If this happens, this immortality comes forth. Guess who's going to come for you? The religious systems are going to come for you. Now, I want to touch on this verse. I just read over that verse. Verse 25 and 6. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. Remember I said that's number one and that's number two. These two things. And he that believe in me, thou he heard that shall be in love. You see how many times I, I emphasize the word believe, believe, believe. It's throughout the whole thing. So Jesus is saying two things. He's the resurrection and the life. So he is saying he's the one that can bring people that have died to life. The word resurrection. So you've died and you're going to, we can today pray for somebody that's dead and they might come alive again. Why? Because the, the resurrection is in us. Jesus is in us. That's why we can do that. I'm not saying it's always going to work, but you can do that. There's people that have done that. And that's Jesus. He is the resurrection. So, he had the power over death. So, Lazarus, he did not have that power. That's why he died. He couldn't chip out death. He died, Lazarus, yeah. Um, but here Jesus comes and he demonstrates in front of all the people. Remember, he just said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he steps in and he says, I'll prove it to you. And he calls out Lazarus to show them he is the resurrection. And he calls him forth to show that he just said to them he's the resurrection. And now he proves that he's the resurrection. Verse 26. And he says, And whosoever live and believe in me shall never die. Believe thou this? Here Jesus flips everything around. He's saying those that live and believe in him shall not die. That word die means dead. Not spiritually, physically dead. Will not die. A lot of times in the, in the systems, we, the, the people believe that means the afterlife. You know, you will not die one day in that side in heaven. That's not what that word die means. It means here. Die in the natural. He's saying, And whosoever live and believe in me shall never die. Not die, go to heaven and live on that side, die, never die this side. Like it was with Adam and Eve. Alright? That's exactly what man had in the garden. 
before sin entered, isn't it? But again, he not only demonstrated his resurrection, that he raised Lazarus from the dead, he now said he's alive. So how's he going to prove that? He's just given an example. Lazarus, come out. I'm the resurrection. But he's the life. Where is he going to prove that one? Hmm? Like I said, we usually think that was to do with eternal life, but yeah, clearly he spoke about death. But in verse 25, do you realize in this verse, let's see if I can go back. <laughs> in this verse, I said yeah, there's room in this verse for healings and raising the dead. It can all happen in this verse. But this verse is a new dimension. It's different. It's totally different. Like I said, when Jesus came four days late, he was saying something to creation. He was pointing something out that he is going to bring to fulfillment by going to Lazarus' grave. He came to Lazarus to make a declaration to the creation that he is here to stop this thing called death. And he's going to start with Lazarus to show what he's came to do. I've got this verse for you here that I've mentioned earlier. Romans 8 verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation waiteth for the revealing of the sons of God. Other Bibles will say there, sons and daughters. But it's sons. Who's waiting for this to happen? Creation. The four. Four days late. He came to declare to creation that what you're waiting for, it's happening here. I'm going to break this thing and I'm going to start here with Lazarus. I'm going to give you an example of what I came to do with death. And he showed it with Lazarus. And he's showing to, to, to the whole of creation that my plan from the, from the beginning when man sinned is starting to, to shape. And I'm walking it out now. And I'm going to start here with Lazarus to tackle death. And basically Lazarus is a shadow of Jesus' death, if you understand the two. Remember I said both had the stone in front in the cave. So, now Jesus dies later. And what he entered, or the shadow that we saw, the pattern, came to fulfillment. Jesus walks out of the grave like Lazarus. Same thing. At Lazarus, he said, I am the resurrection, and he proves it. And here he walks out and he says, I am the life, and he proves it. Both gets illustrated in the two deaths that happened the same way, in the same manner. Because he had to bring that into fulfillment that he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He conquers death when he walks out. He showed the pattern with Lazarus that he's here to deal with death because he is the resurrection. And then when he died, he said, I have conquered death. I am the life. And he proves both of those cases that he made the, the claim for. Um, 
I said he, he conquers the thing death that came in the garden because sin and death entered. And he took the sting out of death when he woke up. And he said, I am the life. That's why he kept on saying it more than once. So now we are walking in a time for what Jesus did at the cross that day when he walked out there, the life is going to come to fulfillment in creation. That word it is finished. Remember what I said? It's to do with everything he's done. And we're walking it out. Man will step into immortality one day because of what he did there. I want you to see how these two stories of Lazarus and Jesus are combined. With Lazarus, man had to roll away the stone because he's not the fulfillment yet. With Jesus, the angels came and rolled away the stone. Want you to see the difference between the two? Yeah, he is dead, raised. Here, he brings eternal life to the world. And he proves to them that he's alive. We always read these things, you know, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then we think, oh, you know, he... He never died. We don't realize what is he actually saying there. He's saying specific stuff with meaning and that, that, that power in, in what he's doing and he's walking it out. And we just read the stuff as if he's saying it as a, he's life because he brings life. But he was saying so much more. But he used Lazarus. So basically, if you were the enemy, if you were the devil, that day when he stepped onto the ground at Lazarus' grave, the enemy knew, mm, what's he doing here? Why is he coming for my weapon? Remember, death is the enemy's weapon. And the enemy immediately saw, what is he doing here? Why is he raising this one from the dead? He raised other people too, but he, other ones, you know, he, he, after that, you know, he would just go lie on somebody and they would erase him from the dead or whatever, like the disciples and that. But he made a specific thing about Lazarus' death. He did specific things. To emphasize what he's coming to do there. And Lazarus is the, is the foundation of him coming to conquer death and him showing how he's going to do that by raising Lazarus from death. Because remember, Lazarus eventually died. He didn't have life yet. We are still in the resurrection. We still die. Uh, if we die, somebody can maybe pray for you, can come back. We are still in the resurrection time. But remember what does the story say? Jesus came for the one he loved and that loved him. And he wept for that one. And he came to bring that one to life. And on the day of the Lord, he's going to do the exact same thing again. He's going to come for those that love him. Not those that believe in him. Those that love him. That's in a relationship with him. And he's going to bring his life. We're all going to have a Lazarus moment. We're going to get called out of our graves in the spirit to step into what he's going to do next, like he did. I'm not going to go further. I wanted to go further, but I'm not going to go further. It's going to, it's going to be too late then. Because I can't stop halfway. Next week, we're going to talk about Lazarus again. But then I want to show you something in Lazarus' story that's beautiful. There's still more in the story that's hidden. But I want you to realize how these two deaths 
is the, the, the beginning and the end of death. And Jesus came and walked that out. Because it entered in the garden and he had to come and seal that thing off. And I mean, most people don't realize when he said, I'm the resurrection and life, that he actually came and did both. We just quickly read over those things, but we don't realize he actually came and did them. Prove them that he is both of them. But when we have this whole thing and we understand this beginning of his, his journey to conquer death on the cross, in two weeks' time I'm going to take you back to Genesis and show you where it started. The attack started. And it's after Adam sinned. The battle for death started. But you need to know these things so when I talk about that, that you know what he did. And why did he do that? Because look at what happened here. Alright, so that's why I'm jumping around, then Genesis, then here's something. Because I want to bring it all together. So you can see this whole story. It's so like I said to this person when I spoke to them, this, this lady just now, I said to her, you must see the Bible as one story, linked. It's not different books. And this one's got nothing to do with that one. Genesis has got nothing to do with the book of Acts. They all are linked and have one story going through them. And there's stuff in all of them that will link in every book in the Bible. That's how beautiful the Bible is written. And that's why here in John you can see stuff that's referring to the garden and to Jesus when he died. But Lazarus' story is of utmost importance to understand. It was not just a, I'm going to raise somebody from death. He deliberately wanted to do that. It's as if the moment he heard Lazarus is dead, he knew, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. And he said to them, no, 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 wait, 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 we'll get there. Because he needed to wait that four days because he knew what he was going to do. Because creation is waiting to see what's going to happen. And we'll still talk about creation. But creation is waiting for these sons. Why? Why is the trees outside, the birds, the animals, the people waiting for this sons of God to come? They're all waiting for that. We're going to talk about that to show you in the Bible where it started, this whole journey of where it came from.